0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We'll be there together in just a moment. Hiking. It can be fun. It wasn't something I was interested in much at all until a few years ago. I think the thought of just climbing up a mountain for long periods of time, sweating out of breath, creatures everywhere, some that want to bite you, some that perhaps want to kill you, um, just didn't interest me that much. I would prefer the beach. Um, but a few years ago, Holly and I decided to, to give it a try and what's, what once seemed to be drudgery has now become something we love. Not that it's easy because um, oftentimes when you're hiking, you might be going from about 9,000 feet or so to 11,000 feet and there's switchback after switchback. It's not easy. But often when hiking, there's something well worth it waiting at the end. A good hiking trail is taking you somewhere. The journey is hard, exhausting, but with each step you're closer to the finish. And so if you knew today that you were one step closer to the finish line of your life, that the end of the journey will be here before you know it, would it change how you travel? Would it change how you live? If you will, please stand with me and let's look together at Romans chapter 13. Let's stand. Romans chapter 13, this morning will be beginning in verse eight. This is the word of the Lord. Owe no one anything, Paul writes, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Read this last verse aloud with me. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, to gratify its desires. And so God, we pray today that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. We long to see Jesus today. Show us Christ, he's our one hope. We pray in his name, amen, amen. You can be seated. And so Paul is the writer, the writer, the apostle Paul. He is writing to the church at Rome. It's about 24 years or so after Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended into heaven. And after 11 chapters of mainly focusing on God's work for us in Christ, Paul took a turn around Romans chapter 12, and he began to focus on God's work in us. You see, if you're a believer, you have already been joined with Christ legally through his finished work at the cross. That is justification. You are declared righteous once and for all through what Christ has done for you, not through what you do, but the rest of our lives, until we finish the journey, he wants to continue to make us righteous practically, that is, to sanctify us, to transform us, to live and love like Jesus. But let's not forget, as we look at Paul's instructions today related to our sanctification, that the present work God is doing in us is based on the past work that he's already done. This is so important, because otherwise it just seems like Paul is giving us a bunch of rules that we can never obey. And so the present work Christ is doing in us is based on the past work that he's already done. It's only after laying the firm foundation of the gospel, only then does Paul begin instructing us how to live in this world. And so looking again at Romans 13, with the gospel at the forefront of our minds, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. We're immediately confronted with a practical question here. Does that mean I should never borrow anything? Well, when reading Scripture, we must always look at the context. Paul had just used the word owe in the verse right before this. In verse 7, he says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes, revenue, respect, honor, and that's the context for verse eight, because we do owe taxes. We do owe revenue. So Paul is not saying here that we should never have any kind of debt. He's not in this passage giving us any kind of financial advice. What he is saying is that when you owe someone, whatever it is, pay it. Do you owe taxes? Pay them. Do you owe money for your mortgage on your house? Pay it. Did you borrow something from someone? Return it. And there's one debt, Paul says, one debt that we always owe, that we can't ever pay back no matter how much we try, and that's the debt of love. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. You know, if you ever have owed someone anything, uh, let's think students, let's say you borrowed uh, some money from somebody uh, at lunch. Let's say it's $20. You owe them $20. What do you think about every time you see that person, especially if you're kind of slow paying it back? You think about, oh, I owe them and they know that I owe them, so maybe we kind of avoid them. And what Paul is saying here is that we need to truly see ourselves as spiritual debtors. Spiritual debtors, wherever we go, whoever we meet, treat them as if we owe them, not avoiding them, but loving them with the love that God has for us. I was convicted about this, this weekend, I'm in Sam's club, just doing a little bit of shopping, I think the dog food or whatever, and um, just have my cart, and I know what I gotta get, I have my head down, I wanna get in and I wanna get out, but God convicted me in the moment, you know there's people here, you're not the only one here, why don't you look up and smile at somebody, maybe show the love of Jesus, and So that's what we're supposed to do. Every time we see someone, treat them as if we owe them the debt of love. And he says when we do that, we fulfill the law. And then he explains in verse 9 what he means. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus 19, 18. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul lists here four of the 10 commandments that God had given Moses at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. And the first of those 10 commandments that God gave us, they can be thought of as more uh, vertical commands. They're commands that, that talk about our relationship with God and how we're to behave. Commands like, you shall have no other God before me. Commands like, do not take the Lord's name in vain. In the second half of the 10 commandments, the last six are more horizontal commands. How we're to relate with each other. And those are the commands Paul is referring to here. All those commands, they're summed up in this, this one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do that and you fulfill God's law because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Now because I'm a question asker, if I was there at the church in Rome while this letter is being read aloud, Uh, probably not multiple copies, so the pastor's probably up there reading it, and when it came time for questions, or for the podcast, whatever, I would've said, hey, um, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor because, uh, are you just talking about the guy next door? I like him, that one's pretty easy. Are you just talking about uh, the people here in the room, other Christians, who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus had taught us in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 that our neighbor is anyone who ever needs our help. Which, by the way, that is everyone because we as believers have the love of Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. So everyone is our neighbor. Not just the person who lives next door to you or the person who looks like you or talks like you or votes like you. We're called to love everyone. And Paul wants us to see by referencing some of the 10 commandments that, for example, when you love your neighbor, you will not commit adultery with them. How would it be loving to go and take someone else's husband or wife? That's not love, that's hate. That's the destruction of a family. How would it be loving to go and steal something from your neighbor, to just help ourselves to our neighbor's possessions? That's not love. And so Paul says we pay the debt of love, and again, this we do in view of God's mercy. He loved us first through Christ, paying a debt that we could never pay, so we live the rest of our lives in loving response. But Paul has more to say and so he goes on in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Paul makes an interesting transition here. He's been talking about loving, paying the debt of love and now he, he moves to talking about the time. In the Greek, it literally says, and this. So it could be translated, "Oh, no one anything except to love each other. And this, do this, knowing the time. And so love fulfills the law, but now we have another motivation to love that we know, the time. And the Greek word here for time is the word keros, which emphasizes the quality or the kind of time. Okay, so question as you're reading this letter aloud, what, what kind of time is it? Could Paul be a little more specific? I don't know what he means by the, the kind of time. Well, Pastor John Piper is really helpful here. He says that, that Paul assumed that everywhere the gospel spread that they knew about the time. You see, he'd never been to the, to the church at Rome. He's writing them a letter, but he's never been able to visit. He wants to. He's trying to get there but he assumes that they know about the time. He says, you know, so what did they know? Well, since Paul doesn't give us much detail here, it's wise to look and see, is there somewhere else that he gave more detail? And he did that to the church in Thessalonica, and so 1 Thessalonians 5, one thessalonians 1 through two, Paul says something very similar. He says, concerning the time, You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord. What's he talking about? Christ's second coming. And so the Thessalonian Christians, just like the Roman Christians, they're they're fully aware of the time that they live in. And they were all taught that Christ was one day coming back to earth. And he says to the Thessalonians that This will take some people off guard like a thief in the night. But he says, not you, not you, Christians. You'll not be taken off guard. Why? Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians 5, because you're not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you're all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. There's a connection to Romans 13, but let us keep awake and be sober. And so when Paul says that you know the time in Romans 13, 11, he's talking about the time between the two comings of Christ, the already of his first coming and the not yet of his second coming, that's the time that the Roman Christians lived in, it's the time the Thessalonians lived in, and it's the time that we live in. And Paul says it's time to wake up. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer to you than when you first believed. The end of the long journey, that journey of switchback after switchback is almost complete. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Our salvation, believers, the completion of the redemption of our bodies with a new body and with a new mind and no more pain and no more struggles with sin is closer today than it's ever been before are you feeling pain today physically mentally emotionally allow God to use it as a reminder of the time we live in Christ is coming again to make all things new our son came in who's now living in Virginia uh, he texted me last week on my birthday I turned 40, big deal, whoop de doo um, And Cayman uh, and kind of has my dry, somewhat, maybe kind of rude sense of humor. He's just kidding, but it can come across rude. But so he says to me in the, in the text, um, he says, 40's a big number, dude. Like, that's really old. You are closer to dying than you think. <laughs> Thanks, buddy, appreciate that. Yeah. He did follow it up with another text That said if you go out to eat dinner With mom for your birthday I want to pay for it So that was really nice We did something well I guess In raising him um, But, but Cayman, without knowing it Was helping to illustrate The point Paul's making here In our text today We are all one day closer to the end Either our death or the second coming of Christ. You can't go back. You're one day closer today to the end of your life than you've ever been before. And so Paul's wanting us to see that there's an urgency to the Christian life. It's like that little boy whose family clock malfunctioned and it struck 15 times. It's never supposed to do that. And so he runs into his mom and he says, Mom, it's later than it's ever been before. And he's right. It's later than it's ever been before. Our final salvation, Christians, that day that our faith becomes sight is nearer than when we first believed. Every pain, every gray hair, every new wrinkle, every funeral is a reminder that it's later than it's ever been before. And in light of this, It's time to love. It's time to love others as Christ loves us. And now, Paul's gonna get really practical and show us what this does and does not look like in the life of a believer. This is the second half of verse 12. He says, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Cast off darkness, put on light. Now Paul had already said it's time to wake up that it's not a time for spiritual sleep. John Piper, again, he provides a helpful illustration here about the clothes that we wear. I, I assume that most of us, we wear different clothes when we sleep than we do throughout the day. So kids in the room, what do we call the clothes that we sleep in? PJs. PJs, good. The first service, Sam said jammies. I was like, I guess we call them that, I don't know. Um, pajamas, we call them pajamas. And here's the thing. Most of us would be embarrassed to go to school or to work wearing our pajamas because they're meant for the night. And by the way, it's just weird. Like, if you, go out, if you go out to Walmart and you see somebody clearly wearing the clothes they sleep in, it's just weird. Like, why? Why do you need to do that? And so what Paul wants us to, to see here is that living in sin Living in sin is like wearing your pajamas during the day. You should be embarrassed to go around sinning. Because we live in the day now. We've been rescued through Christ. The night is over. But so many professing believers walk around each day living in darkness and participating in the works of darkness. Or maybe each weekend... And that was the case with many of the Christians in Rome. Some were still walking around in their night clothes. And Paul says, wake up! You're a new creation now. Cast off the works of darkness. Don't put your old clothes on when you've been given new ones. It's time to advance in sanctification. You see, here's the thing. Many begin, but do not progress. Many begin but do not progress. Many start up that long climb up the mountain, but they get too tired or they get lazy or the temptations of this world just become too much and they turn around and go back. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said it like this, with their body they leave Egypt, but in their hearts they return to it. Paul says it's time to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light. The Christian life is war. It's a battle, and we need to be dressed for the battle. And so what armor is he talking about? Again, it's helpful to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 because there in verse eight, Paul gives a little more descriptive uh, description. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now there are other parts of the Christian armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, but here he gives us the breastplate and the helmet. Now the breastplate, if we were to put that on, what does it cover? It covers our chest, what's in our chest? Our heart. If we put a helmet on, what does it cover? Covers our head, what's in our head? Our brain, our mind. Do you know that the devil wants your heart and your mind? Students, the devil wants your heart and your mind. And so Paul says, You got to put your armor on. And he tells us that the breastplate over our hearts is faith and love. The helmet over our minds is hope. Sound familiar? Faith, hope, and love, the three greatest. And Paul's gonna tell us if we look ahead to the first part of verse 14 that it's not just nice character traits or nice abstract qualities that we're to put on. A lot of people in the world believe in faith, hope, and love. No, he tells us we're to put on a person. So verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We so often think about the time we live in and we get so discouraged about it. Things are so dark. Things are so Bad. our world is just awful politicians are just crazy whatever and the time we live in is full of sin it is full of pain it is full of death that's true but Paul is telling us that's not the truest thing the age we live in is very dark but we are not in darkness there's brokenness, disease, pain all around us, but that is not the main reality for us. If you lose your child or your spouse, the main reality for you is not darkness. If the doctor tells you you have cancer and that it doesn't look good, the main reality for you is not darkness. If you lose your job, the main reality for you is not darkness darkness because we live in the day now we live in the day christ has come he's brought the dawn of the new age the kingdom is here he says put on the armor of light how by putting on the lord jesus christ and this is the main point of our passage today our power to obey and to love others is found in this put on the lord jesus christ you want to love others as God commands you to put on Christ you wanna live in submission to the government even when you strongly disagree? Put on Christ. You wanna withstand the fiery darts of the enemy? Put on Christ. Do you wanna have a beautiful, selfless, intimate marriage? Put on Christ. Do you wanna have the wisdom and patience to train your child up in the Lord? Put on Christ. Do you wanna be able to face the pain and the trials and the tragedy that we all go through in this life. Put on Christ when temptation comes, when despair is knocking at your door, when you feel like you're just too tired to get up in the new day, put on Christ. He's your life, he's your destination. Put on his power, put on his protection, put on his peace, put on Christ. Now it's true that if we're Christians, we have already put on Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is a picture of what happens by faith the moment that we believed. And what happened when we believed was we put on Christ. And nothing can ever change that. This means that the command that Paul is giving us here in Romans 13 is really just this, become who you already are. Become who you already are. You already are in light. You're not in the darkness anymore. That's a beautiful thing. You don't have to be someone you're not, believer. Just be who you already are. Be the child of God that you are. What Paul is saying here is that we're to put on outwardly what we've experienced inwardly. Put on outwardly what you've already experienced inwardly. You're a new creation in Christ. Live in that reality. The question, I'm here in the church, this letter is being read aloud there in Rome. Okay, I get what you're saying. You're saying put on Christ, put the armor on, like love people. Yeah, but how do I do that? Like practically in my day-to-day life? What's that look like? I, I need some more help, Paul. Well, like you, I have real struggles, real temptations. Almost every day of my life, the enemy wants in my mind and in my heart. More than most weeks, Holly and I have felt the attacks of the enemy, and um, Satan would love for Holly and I to be against each other. He would love to destroy our marriage. Those of you that are married in this room, that's the most important relationship you have. This side of heaven, the devil wants your marriage. We've seen it in our youngest daughter this week. Just the other day, she's walking beside me just with tears in her eyes and she said, Satan's just trying to get in my head, he's feeding me lies. The lies that so many of our teenagers deal with, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not pretty enough. And so how do I put on Christ when, when my flesh is weak and when the enemy wants to destroy me? Well, Let's look again at the armor Paul told the Thessalonian Christians to put on because this is God's word and it still applies to us today, it still speaks. Those three words, faith, hope, and love. First, faith. Paul told us in Romans 10 that faith comes through hearing. So what is the way, let's think about this, what is the primary way that we hear God speak? How do we hear his voice? This right here, his word, the Bible, you wanna hear God speak, you gotta be in the word of God. This is his word to us. So many Christians are failing to use the most important weapon that they have because they neglect reading the word of God. So could it be that you're struggling to love others and you're in the works of darkness because you're not hearing his voice and his word? What about hope? Christian hope means confidence and certainty. What do we have hope in? We have hope in the promises of God. So we can put on Christ by remembering all that he's promised. Do you ever ponder his promises? This is such an important discipline. There's hundreds, maybe even thousands of promises in the Bible. For example, he's promised that he'll never leave us, Hebrews 13, five. He's promised that he's working everything out for our good, Romans eight. 28, he's promised every time that we face temptation, he will provide the way out, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and he's promised that nothing, nothing could ever separate us from his love, Romans 8, 39, and so many other countless promises in the scriptures. Let's meditate on all that God has promised us. And then there's love. There's no greater love than Jesus. And so we put on Christ by calling to mind who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. His great, unconditional, unwavering, unstoppable love for us. Every day of your life, Christian, you need to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. We never stop needing to hear this truth that I am loved, that I am approved of that God loves me not because I did really good things today but because of what Christ did for me at the cross. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and so we put on faith, we put on hope, we put on love in Christ. But Paul also warns us what not to do now that we are children of the day. He warns us what not to do. Look at the rest of verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Interesting word there, the word provision. It's literally the word forethought. It's thinking about sin before you actually sin. So the, new, the NLT translates it well. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. We've all experienced this no matter how old we are. Certain thoughts we have or certain situations that we put ourselves in can lead to an awakening of certain sinful desires. You remember King David, he had a, you may know this story about about David, he had a miserable failure and we read about this in the book of 2 Samuel. He was the king, the one that, that God loved, that chose to be king and It says that he committed adultery with a woman that was not his wife and then he goes and has her husband murdered. And so he's an adulterer and a murderer. Remember how it all started? It started with him being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was alone and vulnerable and he should have been off to war with the other kings. He made a provision for the flesh. And we all do the same if we're not mindful, if we're not asking the Lord for his help and his strength. So Paul shows us some examples of how we do this even as believers. Look back to verse 13. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Orgies and drunkenness. Your translation may say carousing or rioting. It it has the idea of reckless partying. If you were to study this word, the first word there, it does not mean what we think it means in our culture today. It has this idea of really substance abuse, taking substances like alcohol and other drugs to the extreme. And Paul says, don't let your thoughts lead to that. What about you? Are you making a provision for these types of behaviors in your life? Might look like this, you're bored, you're alone, you're tired, you're depressed, you're feeling hopeless. But listen, Paul says, don't allow yourself to, to think about those things like alcohol and drugs and other substances in excess. All they do is put you to sleep. They stir up the works of darkness. It's like walking around in your night clothes. Don't put yourself in those situations that give rise to those thoughts and behaviors that's making provision for the flesh. Sexual immorality and sensuality. This is unrestrained, sinful desires for sex, whether sex outside of marriage or adultery or pornography. And the word sensuality here, it's one of the ugliest words in all of the Greek language. It describes one who's not only given to immoral behavior, but who is incapable of feeling shame. And Paul says, Those walking in the light, and rescued by Jesus, you're not to live this way. So what can this look like for us today, even as believers? Well you may have a husband who has not yet learned to love you the way that Jesus wants him to. Maybe he's not learned to listen and talk about what matters to your heart, but listen ladies, Don't allow your mind to fantasize about some other man. Don't let those thoughts and images into your mind through the books you read or the shows or movies you watch on Netflix. That will lead to darkness and misery. Walk in the day, not in the night. Marriage is hard. Pray, work on it together, seek help. We have a great thing here on Wednesday nights called Marriage Corps. Again, as I said earlier, your marriage, if you're married, is the most important relationship you have. Work on it together. Or you may be a frustrated husband or a single guy who wonders why God's not provided a a wife for you or why the wife you have doesn't seem to want to show you any affection. Do not let sinful thoughts into your mind. When that phone or that tablet or, or that computer screen or co-worker tempts you to gratify the desires of the flesh, run. Don't be conformed to the darkness. Put safeguards in place. Have a godly man hold you accountable. Put on the armor of light. Quirreling and jealousy. This is the attitude of living in constant disagreement with others, and we have no problems with this in our world today, so I'll just pass by this one. Hmm. Quirling carries with it the idea where everyone thinks they are right. You're wrong, I'm right, this is my truth, I don't care what you say, I am right. Listen, you don't have to be right all the time. And Facebook and Instagram, they don't have to know that you think you're right all of the time. (laughs) Many have relationships that have been destroyed because of constant quarreling and jealousy. Those attitudes, they lead to resentment and bitterness, which lead to misery. And that's what Paul's wanting us to see here. Sin will make us miserable will make those around you miserable. Only Jesus brings life. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. But Jesus is stronger. Jesus is is better. And so put on Christ in his word and rehearse the promises of God. Remind yourself of the love that Jesus has for you. Through the gospel, every day, hour by hour, moment by moment, we put on Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We get up in the morning and we say, I need you, Jesus. I need you. I can't live without you. Abide in me, walk with me, help me, help me cast off the works of darkness, help me to love like you love. And so let me ask you, Have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in Jesus? You cannot put him on outwardly unless you've put him on inwardly. And I would implore you today, believe, believe, believe in Jesus. You see, there is so much that that is uncertain about our lives, but there are a few things that are for certain. Death is a reality for us all. The mortality rate for those born on planet Earth is 100%. You might be blessed to live until you're 102 or you may leave this world before then, but death comes down every highway, across every sky, saint and sinner, rich and poor, the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon, he said it like this, no man has power over the day of death. We're all one step closer today to our final destination than we were yesterday. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's meant to be a beautiful thing. You might say, well, I've done some of those things that Paul says we're not to do. I've broken God's commands, I've committed adultery, I've looked at pornography, I've been drunk. I mentioned King David. He was. Israel's greatest king. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart, yet at the end of the day, he was a murderer and an adulterer. The example of David and all the other people of the Bible is meant to point us to our need for a greater king. Jesus is the only one who ever lived and never broke a single one of God's commands. And so our hope is not in our ability to obey all the commands. Our hope is found in believing in the one who obeyed them all perfectly for us. Jesus, some of his last words before he was arrested and crucified were these. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Believe, believe in him today. There's no magical prayer you pray. You just put on Christ. Just I believe in you, Jesus. Believe and you will be saved. And right after the service today, we'll be right outside these doors. We'd love to pray with you, to talk with you, to encourage you, and help you to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And so Holly and I had an exhausting hike Uh, A couple weeks ago, up the mountains of Red River, New Mexico. Oh, but the journey was worth it. With every step forward, we were one step closer to the finish, and this beautiful lake called Middle Fork Lake was waiting for us about 11,000 feet above sea level. And God gave me this picture in my mind as we stopped to take in the beauty of the lake. I remember telling Holly about this at the time. I thought about many of you. I thought about your faces, and I thanked God that we're not alone in this journey of, of following and, and climbing one step closer every day to heaven. We're all in this together, and we weren't meant to go through life alone. You see, church, we're now in the last watch of the night. Salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. The present era of darkness and sin and sadness is coming to an end and the never ending age of light, holiness and gladness is near. This is why we must love others. It's why we must make disciples who live and love like Jesus and as we do, we can almost see it. Heaven joins in with the glorious Sound as the great cloud of witnesses all gather round because the ones that were lost are finally found. The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. The day is coming. You will get there one day, but the time is not yet until it comes, and even then, we put on Christ. If we're gonna live in love like Jesus, we must constantly preach to ourselves and to each other this never-ending theme, put on Christ. Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us. These words were given to to men like Paul over 2,000 years ago and yet they're still alive and still piercing to the heart. And that's my prayer today, that you would just pierce us to the heart with your word. Perhaps some today are convicted because they're living in their old clothes when they've been given new ones doesn't mean they're not saved doesn't mean they don't belong to you it just means they're participating in works of darkness and that's going to make them miserable you want something better for us you tell us to to walk in the in the light to live in the day because you've come so god we may look at somebody like king david we might think oh i never done anything that bad. I've never committed adultery, certainly haven't murdered somebody. But Jesus, you told us that if we ever look at another man or woman with a lustful thought in our minds that we've committed adultery. You told us if we've ever hated our brother, then it's as if we murdered them. And so our sin is great. And I, I pray this morning that you've helped us to see how great our sin is. And how disgusting our sin is, how embarrassing it is. Because when we do that, when we see how how grievous our sin is and just what a mess we are, it just makes the gospel so much more beautiful that you would love broken, miserable people like us. And so we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross today. We thank you that you made a way for us to know you. And that you're committed to us, not just the moment of our salvation, but all the days of our life, all the way to the end. And we long for that day. We long to see you face to face. And so we just agree together. It'd be great with us, Lord. Just come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until you do, we'll, we'll fix our eyes on you. Help us by the power of your spirit to live for our savior, Christ alone. We pray in his name, amen smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.